In the previous Mishnah, we spoke about the Kupa and the Tamchei, the two sort of tzedakah funds which every community had, and we explained how poor somebody has to be in order to receive charity from the Kupa and the Tamchei. And now the Mishnah is going to tell us how poor somebody has to be in order to accept tzedakah in general, and specifically the Matnos Aniyem, which we have been discussing throughout this Masechta. Mishyesh Masayim Zuz, somebody who owns 200 Zuz, which is enough to provide oneself with food and clothes for an entire year. He cannot take those four matnos aniyem, because firstly, he's not considered poor enough. And secondly, either way, he can provide for himself until next year's harvest. So therefore, he can't take things from this year's harvest, because since he can support himself until next year's harvest, he can just take the charity from next year's harvest. However... Up until 200 Zuz, one is considered a poor man, and therefore, if somebody had 200 Zuz minus 1 Dinar, a Dinar is the same as a Zuz. So if somebody had, let's say, 199 Zuz, he's considered a poor man. And therefore, even if they give him a 1,000 Zuz at one go, or others, others interpret this to mean even if a 1,000 people give him one Zuz at one time, since they gave it to him all in one go, it's like a poor man who received 1,000 a a Zuz. So he can keep all a thousand zuz, even though of course now he'll have a lot more than 200 zuz. Because he received it all as a poor man. If he received part of it and then interrupted, and then later received more, so the later amount was given to him as a wealthy man and therefore he would not be able to keep that. But whatever was given to him in one go, even if it is well beyond 200 zuz, he may keep that. Harizayitol is allowed to take it. Now what happens if he had property but the property was set aside as collateral for somebody to whom he owed money? So for example, if he borrowed money from somebody and he says, if I don't pay back by such and such a date, then collect the loan from this property. Take this property instead of the money. So that means he's not able to sell this property and use it to buy food until that date. Or if property was designated for the kasuba of his wife. The kasuba is a document written at the time of marriage, and it discusses the conditions of the marriage, and one of those conditions is that if the husband dies or divorces her, then she'll receive a certain amount of money. So if he wrote in the kasuba that instead of receiving money, she'll receive at least part of the money from this property... That means, again, he's not able to sell this property. So it's all very nice that he owns more than 200 zuz, but he can't actually use it to support himself. And therefore, Haizah Yitel, he is able to take the Manos Aniyem as well as General Tzedakah, because he is considered a poor man. As well as this, things which are considered essential for his living, such as a house, that's also not really considered something which he's able to sell for food. And therefore, even if he has a house which is worth more than 200 zuz, which it would be, he is still considered a poor man. We don't obligate him to sell his house for or utensils which are used for essential things, such as dishes used for eating. And in fact, even if, let's say, he only uses these dishes occasionally, let's say only on Shabbos, since they are used for something which is necessary, eating, he does not need to sell them, and we don't count these things towards his 200 zuz. So if apart from these things, he does not have 200 zuz available to actually spend on food and clothing, then he is considered a poor man, he can receive the Matnus Aniyim and Tzedakah in general. Mishnah Tess. The amount of 200 zuz which we just mentioned corresponds to how much a person needs to support himself for a year. And because of that, if somebody only has 50 zuz, however, he's doing business with those 50 zuz, and he's trading, and this person is able to support himself just with those 50 zuz. 
for an entire year, then he's not allowed to take from the Matnus Aniyim, because again, he can support himself until next year's harvest. And until the end of the Mishnah and the Masechta, we're going to see a number of guarantees, either as a punishment or a reward, for certain actions. And firstly, anybody who does not need to take the Matnus Aniyim, or he does not need to take Tzedakah, for example, he's got enough to support himself for an entire year, yet Venoitel, he does go ahead and he takes the Tzedakah, says the Mishnah in a Niftam in Eilam, he will not leave the world, he will not die before becoming needy to other people. Meaning, before he dies, he will end up actually being poor and needing to be supported by Tzedakah. Midok Neged the punishment matches the sin. On the other hand, anybody who does technically need to take tzedakah, he hasn't got enough to support himself for an entire year. Yet, for Eino Noital, he doesn't take the tzedakah. Rather, he works extra hard in order not to become reliant on other people's money. The Mishnah guarantees that in amazement as Zikna, he will not die from old age, actually, until other people are supported by him. So because he's sort of making himself as if he wasn't poor, Hashem will reward him by indeed making him not poor, and in fact other people will be supported from him. The Oliver Kos of Oman about such a person, the Pasuk says, in Sefer Yirmiyah, Borcha Gevar Shayiftach Bashem, Lohoya Hashem Yiftachoy. Blessed is the man who trusts in Hashem, and Hashem is the one who, in whom he trusts. And the Pesukim there go on to promise somebody who has this trust in Hashem, great reward. And it says that others will benefit from its fruit. So the Mishnah is applying that Pesuk to this person who is placing his trust in Hashem. He's not relying on any people to support him, rather he wants to be supported only by Hashem. So he will also receive those rewards. Similarly, the same applies to a judge who judges a true judgment. He's honest in judgment, and he does it for the sake of the truth, for the sake of Hashem, not for his own honor. He's not influenced by other people. So again, this person is putting his total trust in Hashem and doing things for Hashem, and consequently, he will receive the reward, which is mentioned in those psukim, the rewards for the one who trusts in Hashem. Next, the Somebody who is not lame, and this refers to somebody who has one leg which is not functioning properly, or somebody who is not blind, or somebody who is not a Peseach, which refers to somebody whose both legs are dysfunctional. So somebody who does not have one of these disabilities, but he makes himself out as if he does have one of these disabilities. And he does this in order that other people have more mercy on him, and help him, and perhaps give him tzedakah. So he's tricking them. So his punishment is, once again, the punishment matches the sin which he is doing, and he will not die from old age until he will actually be like one of them. If he pretends to be blind in order to get money, his punishment is he will end up being blind. And this behavior to collect Sadoka in a dishonest manner is certainly wrong, and the Mishnah quotes a Pesach for it, and as the Pesach says, Tzedek Tzedek Tirdoif, which literally means you should chase justice justly. However, tzedek is also related to the word tzedakah, and therefore it means you should chase tzedakah justly and honestly. Alright, now the Masechta ends off by telling us, Any judge who takes a bribe, and he distorts the judgment, he issues a wrong decision in the judgment because of the bribe, and in fact, the Mephoshim explain, even if he gives the right decision, but he took a bribe, that's also wrong. Or if, let's say, he didn't take a bribe, but he was still influenced by other people, and therefore issued a wrong decision, such a person who is a dishonest judge, he will not die from old age until his eyes become dim. And he stops being able to see properly. Shnema, as the Pazak says, 
you shall not take a bribe, because a bribe blinds people who can see, the Gomer, etc. And although the simple understanding of that Pasuk is that it's metaphorical, it means that you won't be able to issue a proper decision, you'll be blinded if you take a bribe. But the Mishnah is interpreting it also literally, that your eyes will become blind as a punishment for intentionally being blind to the truth. Solik Masechah's pay on Mazeltov. Now, before we begin Masechus Demai, we need to be able to understand a few things about the various tithes which a farmer has to separate before being able to either produce himself. Now, before the tithes, the maestras, have been separated, the produce is known as tevel. And that is certainly forbidden to eat. Now, once all the tithes have been separated, then the produce becomes known as chulin. That's regular food which one is allowed to eat himself. Now, there's a specific order of how the mice have to be separated. So, of course, all the matnosaniyim, the gifts for the poor, which we explained in Masechah's Peah, they're given at the time of the harvest, with the exception of Masra Oni, which, like the rest of the tithes, is separated after the harvesting process has been completed. So the first of the maestras which are separated then is Trumagodola. Trumagodola is approximately 2%, depending on how generous the farmer is, it's approximately 2% of the produce, and that goes to a Kohen. Midaraisa, actually, one stalk is enough, but Midrabonon, 2%. The next thing which is separated is Masarishan. Masarishan is given to the Levi, and that is a tenth of one's produce. Now, once the Levi receives his Masarishan, he has to separate a tenth of that as Trumas Maiser and give that to a Kohen. So that's a tenth of the tenth. So again, first is Trumagodela, that goes to the Kohen. Then there's Masarishan that goes to the Levi, and then the Levi takes a tenth of that as Trumas Maiser for the Kohen. Now what happens next depends on what year of the Shemitah cycle it is. There's a seventh year Shemitah cycle, and in the seventh year it's the actual Shemitah, when you're not allowed to work the land, and therefore none of the Meisters apply. But in years one, two, four, and five, years one, two, four, and five, the farmer needs to separate a tenth of the remaining produce for what is called Meister Shani. And this he can eat himself, however he has to eat it in Yerushalayim. Now, in the other two years of the Shemitah cycle, the third year and the sixth year, instead of separating a tenth for himself, he separates a tenth for the poor people, and that is Maiser Oni. Now, Trumagodoyla and Trumas Maiser, which are the two things which go to a Kohen out of the things which you mentioned, they have a higher level of holiness. And there are two main consequences of that higher level of holiness, or three which we'll mention. The first one is that a non-Kohen, who is known as a Tsar, is not allowed to eat the Truma produce, even if he buys it from the Kohen, only a Kohen can eat Truma. And when I say Truma, I'm referring to both Truma Gadoila and Truma Smeiser. Now, if a Tsar does eat Truma Gadoila or Truma Smeiser, he is punished by Misobide Shomayim, by death at the hands of Hashem, an early death. And this also applies if somebody eats Tevel produce. Tevel is the produce which the tithes haven't been taken from. And if you think about it, within that produce is Trumagodoyla and Trumasmeiser, which haven't yet been given to the Kohen. And therefore, if somebody eats Tevel, he is also Chayv Misa. Now, another consequence of the higher level of holiness of Truma, we're not going to go into the details right now, but one is not allowed to let the Truma become Tome, impure. Whereas when it comes to the other tithes, or at least most of the other tithes, they can become Tome. Now, during the time of the second Beis HaMikdosh, Yochanan Kohen Godel conducted a sort of survey, and he did his research into which tithes the Jewish people took, which tithes they did separate, and which ones they didn't. And he discovered that virtually everybody did separate Trumagodela, because they knew the punishment for not separating Trumagodela was death. 
However, Trumas Meiser, even though it had the same punishment, they didn't separate. The reason being that the Levi generally separates Trumas Meiser from the Meiser which he receives. But many Ami Ha'orets, which means ignorant people who didn't know all the laws, many of them did not separate Meiser Rishon, or any of the tithes other than Trumagodela. And they thought that since they weren't separating Maserishan, there's no point in separating Trumas Maiser, because the Levi generally separates that from the Maserishan, which meant that the only thing they were separating was Trumagadola. Now the truth is, the majority of people were separating the right Maiseris. However, there was a significant number of Ami Ha'aretz who were not. And because of that, Jehoshim Kohen Godol instituted that if somebody buys produce from an Am Ha'aretz, then he cannot rely on the fact that the Am Ha'aretz separated the Maiseris, and he has to assume that he did not separate it other than Trumagodaila, and therefore the buyer will need to separate the maestras himself. Now what he does with these maestras depends. When it comes to Maeserishan and Maeser Oni, the Maeserishan would generally go to the Levi, the Maeser Oni would generally go to the poor. However, there's a rule which states that One who wants to take something from somebody else has to prove that he's entitled to it. Otherwise, the original owner can keep it. Now over here, the Levi and the poor person can't prove that that produce was obligated in maestras. Maybe the Amharets had separated the Maestras, and because they can't prove it, they can't actually force this buyer to give them that produce. And therefore, although the buyer has to separate the Maestrishan and the Maestr Oni, he is allowed to eat it himself. When it comes to the Trumas Maestr, however, a non-Kohen is not allowed to eat Trumas Maestr, and there's a very severe punishment involved if he does, and therefore he would have to separate a tenth from the Maestrishan which he separated, and give that tenth, which is now in a hundredth of the original produce, he would have to give that to the Kohen. And finally, when it comes to Maestro Shani, which is the produce which he eats himself in Yerushalayim, so since he can eat it himself, he is obligated to treat it as normal Maestro Shani, and therefore eat it in Yerushalayim. Now the name of the produce which a person buys from an Amharetz, and therefore has to separate the Maestros out of doubt, it's called Demai. Demai comes from the two Aramaic words which are Domai, which means this is what, because it refers to this produce which we're not sure whether the Maestros have been separated. Now it's important to remember that this Mijabonon enactment, that one has to separate the Maestros from the produce which he buys from an Amharetz, from somebody who is known not to know all of the laws, he is separating them out of doubt that maybe the Amharetz didn't tithe the produce properly. But it's very possible that he did. Like we said, the majority of people did separate the Maestros properly. So because the whole decree of Demai is out of doubt, there are a number of leniencies involved. One of these leniencies, for example, is that poor people are exempt from separating the tithes from the Demai produce. In fact, according to the Rambam, this is the reason that Maseches Demai comes right after Maseches Peah. Because Maseches Peah discusses all of the gifts for the poor, which are really the advantages which poor people have over wealthy people. And so too, when it comes to Demai, the poor people have an advantage. Now, in the first Mishnah of Demai, we're going to come across a concept, a rule of Sfek Sfeka Lahokel. Which means that in a case of a double doubt, we can be lenient. Now what exactly does that mean? So if you have two doubtful reasons to be exempt from something, then we're lenient and we say that you're exempt. Now the meaning of this will become clarified through the context which our Mishnah uses it. As we said before, separating Mises from Demai is done out of doubt. Perhaps the Amharets did separate the Maestras, and therefore that would be a reason that you would be exempt. Now that means that as soon as you bring into the equation another doubt, another reason why the person would possibly be exempt, then you'll have a double doubt. So our mission is going to list a number of species which very often grow in the wild. They sometimes grow in people's fields and are owned by people, but often they are also grown in the wild, which means that they have no owner, which means they are hefka, they're ownerless. 
And the halacha is that hefka produce, if somebody takes that or he cuts it off the ground, because it didn't have an owner when it grew, it is exempt from the tithes. So now, if somebody buys one of these species from an Amharetz, there are two doubts. Firstly, there's a doubt that perhaps this produce grew as hefka, and therefore it's totally exempt from the Miserus. And even if it didn't grow as Hefker, possibly the Amoretz took the Miserus. So we have two doubts here, and therefore we apply the rule of Sefek Sefeka Lehokel. We're lenient, and therefore the person who buys this produce, which often grows in Hefka from an Amoretz, he will not need to separate the Miserus from this Demai produce. So the Mishnah tells us, The species for which we are lenient when it comes to Demai, that because they often come from Hefka, the buyer does not need to separate the Miserus. Hashisin, this is some sort of wild fig, which often grows in the desert. The Harimin, some sort of bean. The Hosrodin, some sort of miniature apple. With no Shuach, white figs. These are quite low quality, and therefore it was less common for these to be planted by owners. So they would often be Hefka, with no Shikma, another type of wild fig, which often grows in forests. The Novlos Hatmara low-quality um, dates which fall off the tree before they fully ripen. So because of their low quality, even if they had an owner to begin with, the owner would usually declare them as Hefker while they were growing because he knew they would fall down before they even ripen. The Hagufnin, grapes which grow late in the season, so again, they don't really ripen in time. The Hanitzpa, some other sort of plant which has roundish leaves, again, often grows in Hefka or the Yehuda. And in the area of Eretz Yisrael, which was called Yehuda, Ha'oig, some sort of low-lying tree, possibly sumac, and it wasn't considered such good quality in Yehuda, and therefore it was often Hefka. The should be Yehuda, the vinegar which was in the area of Yehuda, and the reason why this often came from Hefka is because there was a miracle during the time of the Beis HaMikdosh that all of the wine which came from Yehuda never turned sour and turned into vinegar. That's where vinegar usually comes from, wine which has turned sour. But since the wine of Yehuda was used in the Mishamikdosh to pour on the Mizbeach, there is a miracle that any wine which came from Yehuda did not turn sour into vinegar. Which meant that vinegar which was in Yehuda, instead of being made out of wine, was made out of the skins of the grapes, which were of course lower quality, and therefore often hefka, that kusbar, and coriander, which once again is often hefka. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says that there are a couple of exceptions to the species mentioned above. Rabbi Huda agrees that Kolashis in Peturin, that the wild figs are exempt, but there's an exception, Chutzmish al-Dufra, except for the type of wild fig which produces fruit twice a year, because that was a bit of a higher quality. Similarly, he agrees that Kolarim in Peturin, all of the rimen, which is some sort of bean, are exempt, except for the rimen which grew in the area called Shikmaina, because they were slightly better quality. And finally, Kolbanos Shikma Peturais, Ulbanos Shikma, some other sort of wild fig, are exempt, Chutzman Amistophais, except for the Mustophais, which are the figs which often open up already while they're on the tree, and again, they were slightly higher quality, and therefore, they are not likely to be come, to come from Hefka, so there's no longer a double doubt, and therefore we are strict, and we say that the buyer would be obligated to separate the Miserus from the Demai, which he buys from the Amharets. Mishnah base. Although one has to separate Maestro Shani from Demai produce, and he has to eat that in Yerushalayim, because it's only done out of doubt, and it's Medrabanon, there are certain leniencies which are involved. And we'll explain them one by one. Says the Mishnah, Hadamai. Maestro Shani of Demai, Enoi Chaymesh, does not have the laws of a Chaymesh. What is a Chaymesh? So if you think about it, a tenth of one's produce is a lot. So to take out the actual produce to Yerushalayim is very difficult, and therefore what they could do is redeem the Maestro Shani from the produce onto money, so now the money has the holiness of Maestro Shani, and then take the money up to Yerushalayim and use that money to buy produce in Yerushalayim and eat it there. 
However, if one does redeem the mice shani onto money, then he has to add on a fifth of its value, which is actually a quarter. We won't go into that now, but it is called a chaymesh, a fifth. But if you redeem my sashini of the Mai, you do not need to add the Chaymesh. You don't need to add on any money when you redeem it. As well as that, the Elo Beer, Beer does not apply to my sashini of the Mai. And Beer refers to the fact that on Erev Pesach of the fourth and seventh year of the Shemitah cycle, any my sashini which hadn't been eaten by then have to be destroyed. So that wouldn't apply to Demai. And the next thing on the list concerns an Oinein. An Oinein is somebody whose relative has died, but has not yet been buried. An Oinein is exempt from any mitzvahs, and it is derived from Pesukim that an Oinein is not allowed to eat Maishashenei. However, Venechala Oinein, Maishashenei of Demai, can be eaten by an Oinein. As well as this, unlike regular Maishashenei, Venechala Yerushalayim V'yotzei. It can come into Yerushalayim, and even once it's coming to Yerushalayim, you're allowed to take it out of Yerushalayim. And then you can redeem it, and then bring the money into Yerushalayim, and spend the money. When it comes to regular Meister Shani, once the produce has been into Yerushalayim, it can no longer be taken out and redeemed onto money, and then use the money for produce in Yerushalayim. But when it comes to Meister Shani of the Mai, even once the produce has entered Yerushalayim, it can still be redeemed onto money. And when it comes to regular Meister Shani, you've got to be very careful that while you're transporting it to Yerushalayim, none of it is lost or destroyed. However, when it comes to Demai, it's alright to allow a little bit of it to be destroyed or discarded on the journey towards Yerushalayim. Obviously, you can't do it intentionally, but you don't have to be so careful to avoid it. And unlike regular Meister Shani, even no son of Amharetz, you're allowed to give it to an Amharetz, even though an Amharetz isn't so careful with the laws of Tumor and impurity... You're allowed to give it to him, and you do not need to worry yourself that he might make it Tomei. However, if he does do this, there is still a concern that the Amharetz ate it in a state of Tumah. So Vyocha Kanegdoi, he needs to eat the same amount as he gave the Amharetz, he needs to eat that as Maestro Shani in a state of Tahara, in a state of purity in Yerushalayim. Furthermore, says the Mishnah, when it comes to regular Maishashini produce, once it's been redeemed onto money, one is generally supposed to take out that money and then take it straight to Yerushalayim and spend it on produce in Yerushalayim, but not to redeem it again onto other money or other produce. There are certain cases where that's allowed, but in general it is certainly preferable not to. However, when it comes to Maishashini of Demai, you can make a silver coin into Chulin by transferring it onto other silver coins. Again, Chulin means regular produce, or in this case money, which doesn't have any holier status, like Maishashini. So if you redeem the produce onto silver coins, you are allowed to then redeem that silver coin Maishashini money onto other silver coins, and you can redeem copper money, which is Maishashini, onto other copper. So then the original Maishashini money becomes Chulin, it loses its Maishashini status, and the new money becomes Maishashini, you can redeem silver coins onto copper coins, or even copper coins back onto other produce. However, in this last case, where you redeem the money back onto produce outside of Yerushalayim, we're going to have a machlekes as to whether you're allowed to then redeem the produce onto money again. So according to the first opinion of our Mishnah, I'm going to read it without the word of Ulvad, because many Mephoshim delete that word from the Mishnah. So it should say, He is allowed to go back and then redeem the produce onto other money. It's not just the original Maishashini produce which can be redeemed onto money, but it's even the produce which was later Maishashini. That's the opinion of Rabbi Meir who says that in this regard, Maishashini of the Mai is more lenient than regular Maishashini. 
However, the produce must be brought up as it is and eaten in Yerushalayim and it should not be redeemed back onto money and then bring the money to Yerushalayim and then buy produce there. And according to the Chachomim, that is the same as regular Maisasheni in that regard, but the Chachomim agree to the rest of the leniencies which we have mentioned in this Mishnah. There are lots of new concepts in Demai, but they are repeated again and again throughout this Masechta and the coming Masechtas, so the terms will no doubt become very familiar as we go further into Seder Zeroim.